Hello, friends, and welcome to the Deeper Daily Podcast for the 25th day of May. I'm Paul White. Thanks for joining me on this Wednesday edition of the podcast. I encourage you to go check out the full-length sermon that will drop today, wherever you're listening to this podcast. This is that double day where we do that on Wednesdays and Sundays, give you two. One is a podcast, one is a sermon, and the sermon will be in our new series on the church. As I'm recording this podcast, I don't know what we'll title it yet, but I can tell you that for the next several weeks, maybe months, we're going to be doing a, a, a look at the church in the New Testament and what the church looks like through the framework of that first century. This is not sort of your tired old journey through, hey, let's make our church look like the book of Acts. Um, I think we've all been down that road. It oftentimes leads to frustration. And one of the reasons is because you're trying to copy something that wasn't meant to be copied. And so this series is really to try to examine what the church looked like in Acts, what we can learn from that, and what the early church fathers, particularly in the biblical sense, like Paul, Peter, and these what they thought of the church. I say all of that for two reasons. One, because it's Wednesday, and that sermon will be out there today. If you like video, you can also watch that on our YouTube page, PWM, or of course you can access all of it at our website, paulwhiteministries.com. The other reason that I'm bringing it up is because we've arrived at the end of the third chapter of 1 Timothy and our journey through 1 Timothy. And at the end of the third chapter, Paul gives, and a lot of your Bibles... If, if your Bibles are like most hard copies, they split a lot of the passages up into segments so that you can sort of teach in four, five, six, seven, eight verse segments. What is that the body of that segment trying to say? For instance, the first seven verses of this chapter was what you might call the qualifications of bishops. And then verses 8 to 13 are the qualifications of deacons. A lot of your Bibles will have those headings in some way or the other. And most Bibles will have something about mystery in the next section. Um, As I'm sitting and looking at multiple copies of the Bible, I've got the mystery of godliness in one and the mystery of our religion in the other. In either case, the, the common denominator there is that this segment contains Paul talking about something he considers a mystery. And so I want to try to work with that subtitle, that heading, because it seems to be popular, and see what Paul thinks is a mystery, and how might we investigate that mystery with him. And I said all of that stuff about the midweek sermon and being a study on the church, because the church is a big part of Paul's description of the mystery. Let's read from verse 14, uh, at least 14 and 15, although the word mystery doesn't come up until verse 16, you know it's on its way and we're going to be here for a few days. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these instructions to you so that if I am delayed, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and bulwark of the truth. I'm reading from the NRSV. Um... Let me read the ESV there, at least that that last phrase where he calls the church of the living God a pillar and a buttress of the truth, Um, both meaning, of course, primarily the same thing. David Bentley Hart calls it a pillar and support of the truth. In either case, or in any case, one thing that we can walk away from here is believing that the Apostle Paul thought several things about the church. First of all, 
He thought that there was a way to behave when you were with the household of God, that he actually does think, does not think anything goes. We know this when we study 1 Corinthians, where Paul tries to give some instructions to that sort of wild Corinthian church that is just willy-nilly about everything. They're kind of off the wall with communion and that celebration. They're definitely off the wall in their in their understanding and practice of the gifts of the Spirit. And so Paul comes in to put some parameters up, not because he's trying to restrict liberty, but because he's trying to keep from dragging services into infinity, offending people with... Um, privatizations of worship that's part to me that's part of what Paul's instructions about the gifts are because if you just let everybody just go do whatever eventually someone can take over a service I mean, I've been in these services where someone without some form of structure someone just sort of takes over a service just you know praying in tongues for 15 minutes and it, it's not very conducive to getting people to have their own revelation of the of who Christ is when someone hijacks a service. And so there does seem to be, and I know hijack seems to be a severe word, but it's kind of the best I got, um, at least from what I've seen. So the first thing to point out then is that Paul definitely believes there is a way to behave. And I don't think he lays down this strict pattern of everyone needs to look the same, act the same, dress the same. That's not That doesn't seem to be on in Paul's description. But there are some things that he felt like he should instruct on. And so... Throughout this letter to Timothy and 2 Timothy, there are there are some of those things, and some of it has been these qualifications of bishops and deacons that he just laid out at the beginning of the third chapter. Uh, that leads to this thought, the second thought, and that is Paul equates the household of God with the church of the living God. And so Paul makes this comparison, not a contrast, but a comparison, that God's house is the church of the living God. So whatever Paul means by the church, and there's a lot of possibilities because that's one thing our study is doing, this side study on the church, is to look at the church through the lens of the book of Acts and watch how the definition of what the church means broadens as they go. Well, Timothy has written most certainly near the end of Paul's life. Paul would have been these are probably prison epistles. And for all we know, the last two things that he was inspired of the Holy Spirit to write down, or at least the last two things he wrote down that survived into what we call the Bible, the canon of Scripture. And if that be the case, you've got to assume his definition of church has rounded out somewhat. And in this, one of his dying letters, he looks at the church as the church of the God who is alive but they are the household of God. And household is more than just the house where God lives because that's not really true and we know it. And I don't think Paul believes that either, that God actually lives in the church, but that God lives in a household is a family. That God lives within the family of the church, whatever that looks like. And that crosses all of our, 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 our parameters and our boundaries so that the church is not a build, just a building. It can... It can certainly meet in a building. The church is not just a group of like-minded believers, though it is rarely less than a group of like-minded believers. You see what I mean? And so it's this family of people who have come into the faith and are walking this out together. They are God's house, 
and they are the church of the living God. Tomorrow, I want to talk about that that phrase that we used in three different translations, whether it's a pillar and a support, or a pillar and a buttress, or a pillar and a bulwark. They're all very similar, and we're going to get into those tomorrow. Hope you have a great day. God bless.